Is there any encouragement from the belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working towards with one mind and, one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died on a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the, and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in the world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word word of life, then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice and I will share your joy. Thank you. That is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Good morning. <clears throat> so I was watching Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom with the boys a couple of weeks ago. 90s. Where are my 90s people at? Yeah. yeah. What? <laughs> Nothing. He said, I don't know if I belong here anymore. Um, other than the fact that once your kids get past the fact that that's what we had for CGI, when they were like, is this a cartoon? You're like, no, his face is melting off. <laughs> oh, I get it. It looks like wax. That's because it is. We were watching... At the beginning of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, there's a scene where Indy is sitting across the table from Lao Shea. And Lao Shea is a bad guy. Indy is the good guy. Just in case you haven't seen the movie. And he gives him this, this artifact that he finds, and his payment for the artifact is this diamond. And he gets the diamond, and, and they had um, one of those things in the table that spins. And a lazy Susan, every Susan is like, that's the dumbest name ever. <laughs> but they put the diamond and then like a drink, like a celebratory martini or something on the, 
the Lazy Susan, spins it around to Indy. Indy checks the diamond. That's what he wants. And then he grabs the drink, and he says something corny, and he takes a drink of the drink and puts it down like, I win, you lose. And then Lao Shea, the bad guy, and his friends, they start laughing. And Indy's like, what are you laughing at? And he was like, at the point, and he goes, now you give me the diamond back. He's like, why would I do that? And he's like, so I can give you the antidote to the poison you just drank. We started Philippians. Philippians is a letter. It's a letter written from someone in jail, wondering if this is it for him, the Apostle Paul. And he's thinking about his life along the way, and he's thinking about these people, probably of all the churches that he planted, we don't know for sure, but from some of the language in his letters that he writes, you catch glimpses. Like in Corinth, they had some serious doctrinal issues, so he spends a lot of time um, correcting things, wrong beliefs, wrong actions. There's none of that in Philippians, but what there is, is there some speaking to deeper issues of the heart to his friends. Today, we get into what the issue is. Week one, we talked about the power of partnership, what it means to have high trust with someone. When you know someone's got your back, this, I want to think healthy friendships, marriage for sure. When you know that your spouse is for you or your friend is for you or your team is for you, you can be your true self because you know that even if you make a mistake, they're with you. They're for you. They have your back. They want, they're going to give of themselves to see you be the best that you can be. You're walking in the same direction. That's the power of partnership. We talked about that week one. Last week was the power of our chains, that our chains don't just imprison us. They actually do stuff through us. And then the last thing Paul said last week was this, Philippians chapter 1, at the very end, in, the, in verses 27 through 30, the very end, verse 30, you're going through the same struggles you saw that I had, and now you hear that I still have. Now we get to verse, or chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, therefore. Anytime you see a therefore in scriptures, it's taking what has been talked about. Now it's either going to build upon it or come to like a concluding statement. So therefore, you know, figure it out. Therefore, all of these things, therefore, act like this. Paul is the king of run-on sentences. He's also the king of run-on thoughts. So in Philippians, you get therefore, and then you get to the end, and he goes, therefore... Then you get to the end, he's like, therefore, and then he like hits you with the bomb. There's a lot of that going on. We can't go through all of that in one Sunday. We're just going to work on this, this next one. So as we get back into chapter 2, I want to give you an overview of everything Marissa just said, and then we're going to go through it. There was something relationally in the church that was causing division. It wasn't something that was taught from the front, probably wasn't. It was... Something going on between people. The problem was pride. And I was confident in talking about this today because I know that if every person in this room struggles with something, 
we struggle with pride. We all have it. And did you know pride is actually one of the things that the Bible says God does not like it? Actually says he hates it. It's weird that that, that is strong language that God would say he hates pride. Why? Pride is what caused him to ca- God to cast Satan out of heaven. Pride is wanting in yourself what is due to someone else. It says in Proverbs 20 Proverbs 6:16, these six things God hates. The first one is this, haughty eyes. Haughty. It's a very rich word, it, it, but one of the words we would draw from it is pr- a proud look, pride. Haughty means arrogant or arrogantly sup- superior to someone else. I'm arrogantly superior to you. Look at any comment thread online and haughty, you'll be like, oh, that's haughty eyes. Haughty means arrogantly superior and disdainful. And I was like, okay, cool. What does disdainful mean? Disdainful means zero respect, placing someone else beneath you. Some people, I'm thinking on the fly here, probably deserve things like being canceled. Some people do stuff and they look at, put something out and then it comes through how they really been and it's like, man, you deserve to not be followed. But this whole cancel culture has gone so far that where if someone says something that butts up against our pride, we do this and then we justify it. We arrogantly look down upon them and regard them as nobody and put them under us. Even if we are right on a certain argument, the act that comes in is pride. Pride places itself at the top and places others below. We all remember that person in school. That person in school didn't go away, they just got older. You ever notice that as you get older, the stuff you learned in junior high is the same stuff you deal with as an adult? And what we begin oftentimes is what continues into adulthood. Pride is what caused Satan to be cast from heaven because he wanted the glory due to God for himself. And not only is it what it casts him from heaven, it's his greatest tool in the world, in your life, and in my life. Because the devil's greatest strategy is to undo what God is doing. It's always been that way. God wants to bring unity in a relationship. What does the devil want to do? Bring so discord. What is something that God hates? Someone who discords, this, someone who sows discord amongst the brethren. Because it's not from God's nature. It's from the enemy of our soul's nature. It's his greatest tool in the world because what's the first natural response when someone is prideful towards you? What do you do naturally? You, you, you step up. I'm up here, I'm supposed to like 
be an example. I'm trying to be an example, but last week during the Northwest tune-up, I was with my wife. We were going downtown. She was driving. I'm sitting shotgun. It was stinking hot outside. And we get downtown. Where are we going to find a place to park? And we find one place down by past Holly, past Old Town Cafe, right by the Vietnamese restaurant right there. And you got a parallel park. But traffic's cruising by. But when you go to parallel park, people wait behind you. All of a sudden, hur, hur, this big old horn from a big old dump truck firing at my wife. I was outside of the car, standing in front of his dump truck so fast that when I got there, I, my wife was like, you're so embarrassing. <laughs> I'm like, don't you be honking at my wife, ooh. <laughs> but it happens like that, boom. You come against me, the natural response in the flesh is to come against you. It's not to say that there's never a time to stick up. It's that when someone is prideful towards you, the natural response is to be prideful back. That's why we say, oh, yeah, you're dead to me. That's how someone can do something that comes against our flesh, even if they're right. And then we can turn and snap and, and just be done with that person. Or maybe it's been done to you. This is what Paul's addressing with his friends. The title of our message this morning is called this, Humility, the Antidote to Pride. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that I may show an example for my life, but I thank you, Holy Spirit, that as I'm doing that, you're showing people their lives. And that we know that pride is something that we struggle with and you don't want us to. You have a better way for us and we're going to learn about it today. So I want to speak on behalf of me and my household and this household of faith called the Bridge Community Church. And we say, Lord, that we open up our hearts to receive your word. And if you agree with me, would you say amen? amen. Humility is pride's antidote because humility puts things in their proper order. Paul broke down what uh, Marissa read into four sections. I'm going to give them to you, and then we're going to go through them. You got four points today. First one is this. Humility is what we need. The second one, Jesus is where we find it. The third one, daily is how we live it. And the fourth one, it's more powerful than you think. Let's look at this first one, humility is what we need. Here we go in verse 1. So, Paul starts off, or therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any, excuse me, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in his spirit, if any, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, this is unity, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Instead, in humility, circle that, in humility, I say circle that because I imagine that everybody brought their Bible, they got it open, you got a notebook, you got a pen, you're taking some notes. If you're not, 
I still love you. But I do believe every day, every week, when I open this up, I've been wrestling it down all week, I do believe that God speaks to his word. And I do believe what is spoken on a Sunday, if you're walking in partnership with other people, it's not just for me, because this is for me. I've been preaching it to myself all week. But it's also for you. And sometimes if you're like me, maybe on Sunday you had a, that last coffee too long, and you might miss it. But if you jot it down or you circle it when you go back and look at it, maybe it jogs something. We got some Bibles on order, uh, some new ones coming that are going to be uh, in this version that I'm teaching from. And we got a bunch of notebooks on the back table. If you want either one, go ahead and help yourself. But we circled, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but to each of, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. We talked about what pride is. What is humility? In humility, I heard a comedian one time say, what does a sesame seed turn into? I don't know, we never gave him a chance. What is a sesame? It's a street. It's a way to open stuff. Open sesame. Okay, what is humility? Humility is the opposite of selfish ambition and conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition and conceit. You want to know what humility is? Know what these are. Selfish ambition. Self-promotion. I'm trying to think if I should talk about social media. Self-promotion. <laughs> is it possible to have these things without self-promotion? Yeah, it is. Is it possible to have humility? Absolutely. Is what's modeled for us a lot of just self-promotion? Yeah. Selfish ambition, self-advancement, self-promotion, conceit, excessive appreciation of one's own worth or virtue. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. So do nothing out of trying to promote yourself or do nothing out of thinking that you're better than everybody else. Do nothing out of that. This is talking to a church family that are having some relational things. Family families that are having relational things. When someone says something hurtful to you and you're like, well, forget you then. And it's like, yeah, we were brothers. We were close when we were 10. Now we're 50 and we don't talk anymore. That's pride. And then at least on one person's part, and then it becomes selfish ambition and conceit. Don't do that. It's not going to get you where you want to be. It has been said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Because you can have false humility. It's where you talk bad about yourself, but what you're hoping people will do, be like, it's okay, you're so awesome. That will never get us to where we have a refuge in Jesus. We'll be looking for refuges in people, and we'll, they'll never live up to what God wants to do in our life.
Humility is not weakness. We'll talk about that in a bit. Humility is strength. Another word for humility in the Bible is meekness. And if you've been around the bridge for any length of time, we have a definition for meekness because we want to be meek. Because Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know what meekness is? It's not weakness. It's actually strength. Strength under control. So we like to say it's muscles under a t-shirt. You don't got to flaunt them, but when you need them, they'll be there. You can be at the gym, and you don't have to be flexing in front of everybody. You just put the weight up. Meekness is muscles under a t-shirt. It describes a humble person. Humility is a mindset. Because we're going to get, Paul's going to say, have the mindset that Jesus has. It places things in their proper order. It's not just placing yourself at the bottom of a situation, because some people need to assert who they are. You've been walked on for too long, and then you hear something like, well, I just got to be humble. But you take that as, I just got to let people walk all over me. That's not what it means. It means to hold things in their proper order. We place ourselves under by placing others over. Moms do this on the daily. I see it all the time. Mom, what would you like to do? All sorts of stuff. What are you going to do instead? Everything that is needed of me with a smile and with joy. Dads, we do this too. What do you want to do? Have fun. What are you going to do? Work. We put ourselves under the needs of our family, and, we, so, and it costs us time, it costs us time at home, it costs us all sorts of stuff, but we're doing it out of a place of, I want to honor God, I want to provide for my family, and I want to honor my family, so I'm going to place myself, my needs, below theirs. Dads, isn't it funny how sometimes, as you get older, you're, so you're like, man, I would really like a new fill-in-the-blank. And then you look at all the stuff that needs to be done, and your kid's feet were like, for crying out loud, can we have a prayer meeting that will stop growing? <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, oh, that thing I want, that's like way at the bottom of the priority list, if your priorities are in order. If they're out of order, we're the thing where it's like dads are just bawling, and our family's like limping to the thing, and <laughs> you know, it's like we want to take care of our people. Humility is not just placing yourself at the bottom. It's knowing what it is to place others above you. It is attractive to God. Haughty eyes is not attractive to God. Humility is attractive. It smells good. As a matter of fact, humility makes you easy to bless. We're going to get that humility is actually stronger than you think. It causes a confidence it causes a steadfastness, a resolve. I'm good. Why? God's got me. In conflicts, family, church, whatever, relational conflicts, we don't need answers. We need humility more than anything else. Humility is what we need. The second thing, where do we get it? Mm, humility sounds good. Can I get me some of that? Jesus is where we find it. Verse 5. In your relationships with one another, 
have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That word mindset there actually means attitude. The way we think about something, the way we posture ourselves towards something. When we're proud, we posture ourselves differently than when we're open and humble and relatable, right? Have the same mindset, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't leverage his majesty. He didn't leverage his divinity for himself. There was no selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, he valued others better than himself. And this is how he did it. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Was Jesus weak? No. no. Some point, when he was in the garden and they came to take him, and Peter's like, I got you, and chops the dude's ear off. Read it, it's in there. Jesus said to Peter, what are you doing? That, that's, if I, he goes, don't you know if I wanted I could call down legions of angels and like end this real quick. Jesus was not weak. He was the strongest person who ever lived. Jesus, who by nature was God in human flesh. So when he's on the cross and they're going, if you're God, save yourself. Some God you are. It was in his humility that didn't save himself from the cross, but let him go all the way to the end for you and for me. His humility was his strength. He knew who he was. Yet he laid down his right to be served in order to serve others. That is strength. I remember the movie Barnyard. I was watching it with my kid. Have you seen Barnyard? It's a good one. And in the movie, the father cow says to the son cow, who's kind of wasting his life away because he just wants to party, the father cow, who's played by Sam Elliott, so you know he's awesome, says this, a strong man takes care of himself, but a stronger man takes care of others. And I remember when Jonah was little, and he heard that, and he looked at me in a little kid voice, and it's like, is that true, Dad? I'm like, heck yeah, that's true. And that's always stuck with him. But if you're looking to be humble in your life, God will give you little reminders all sorts of places. That is strength. It says, have this, have this mindset that Jesus had. Have the same attitude. You know what that means? It means it's a choice. When faced with hardships, we actually have a choice. Do you want to face this with Jesus? Or do you want to face this on your own? That's the thing about anger and pride. It pushes all of that stuff out of the way. And it's like, I want to do it on my own. Because then you can really do some damage. So what was Jesus' attitude toward God and others if we're called to have this same attitude? I kind of put it like this. He had, his attitude was twofold. The Father was worth obeying 
and people were worth serving. The word is worth in there. It's, we get worship from it. But everything he did was based on this. The Father was worth obeying. Jesus in the garden, got to go to the cross, sweating drops of blood, and he's like, Father, if there is any other way to do this thing apart from me going to the cross, let it be. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He was obedient his whole life to death, even to death on the cross. No one's ever been more obedient to the Father than Jesus. The Father was worth obeying. And you know what his other attitude was? People were worth saving, serving, and saving. People were worth serving. Just so you guys know, every week before church we pray, which is good. <laughs> because we can gather here and we can do all sorts of stuff, but apart from the reality and the living and active power of God's Word and the presence of His Holy Spirit that doesn't curb behaviors but changes us into Jesus, we're like a club that gathers. But we want to be a Jesus people being transformed from glory to glory, right? Yeah. So we pray before church on Sunday. We're in the back praying, and someone prayed this prayer. They said they were out picking berries this morning in their garden, and they noticed something. They noticed that berries look different. Some of them, they're like, mm, those look good. Some of them are like, that thing's weird looking. But if you've been picking berries long enough, some of the ones that taste the best are the weird-looking ones. I remember when I moved here to Washington, land of the fruit, I'm like, I'll take that raspberry, I'll take that strawberry. And then Steph and her brothers were like, blah, 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 just eating it all. And I was like, ugh, those ones are like, those ones have been sitting. They're like, it's got a little dark spot on it, you know? And they're like, man, those are the ripe ones. Jesus doesn't look at people the way we look at people. He's kind of done that from the very beginning. He says, we look at outward appearances because we're using our eyes, and so we start with the outward appearance. And we can be like, oh, you look good today. And we can look at someone else and be like, what happened, to that? What happened there? <laughs> God doesn't do that. He looks at the, the inward attitude and intents of the heart. He looks and he goes, oh, humility looks good on you. Can you imagine the Father, God, the Father looking down and seeing you and being like, dude, you look like Jesus today. That fit is super swag. That means you look good. Or if he looks down and he's like, ugh. Pride doesn't look good on anybody. It's like horizontal stripes in the 2000s. I know my jokes are flopping. Luckily, none of them are written down. <laughs> Jesus' actions were a result of his attitude. He looked at people and he was like, they're worth, worth it. The woman caught in adultery? Jesus says, that's my people. You know why? She'll know what humility is. The woman at the well, outcast by everybody, had to go to the well at noon in the heat of the day just so people would leave her alone and she could finally get a drink of water. Jesus is like, I have to go to Samaria. Why? Humility looks good on her. She'll know what it means to have the same mindset that Jesus did. 
the drunkards, the tax collectors, the visibly broken by the pool. You know who didn't like the fact that Jesus liked all the people? The people who looked real good on the outside, who wore pride like a religious robe. And he was like, man, you guys even tape the Bible to your head, but you're missing it. They wore these things to show that they were like set apart. Little wooden box with uh, a prayer from the Old Testament in it, out of Exodus, I think. And they would wear it to be like, uh, I know the Bible. Jesus was like, man, that pride doesn't look good on you. That was his attitude. And because the Father was his refuge, his safe place, he could trust him with his whole life and with his death. That's why we had those rhetorical questions at the very beginning of the text. Has anybody, did you notice those? Do you have any encouragement from being united with Christ? Have you ever been comforted from his love? Have you ever had any common sharing in the spirit? Do you know what it is to experience tenderness tenderness and compassion? We're like, he knows the answer is yes, if you're a believer and you've been walking. Yeah, I know what that's like. Yeah, I know what that's like. He says, then fulfill my joy by remembering what humility is like. So what did Jesus do? That was his mindset. What did he do? You want me to tell you how much he loves people? Even you, in your worst place that you could ever be. Romans 5.8 tells us in plain language, for God demonstrates how much he loves us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That means like when you were at your worst, Jesus saw you at your best. He saw the potential. He saw the forgiveness. He saw the fruit in your life. He saw you in him. Jesus went low. He made himself nothing to serve God and others. No one has ever, nor will ever, go as far as Jesus did to obey God and serve other people. And as a result, no one will ever be exalted or lifted high or put in a place of prominence as much as Jesus will be. But you know what? God isn't asking you to die for the sins of the world. He's just asking you to die to yourself. You don't have to worry about paying other people's stuff. Jesus took care of that. He just wants you to respond with your stuff. So how do we do that? Jesus is our example. Awesome. Jesus is amazing. You you know, you read that and you're just like, my goodness. As a result, no one will ever be exalted as much as Jesus. Look at verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me tell you something. That verse is not meant to strike fear into people's hearts. It's meant to floor us with his goodness and his grace and make us want to respond with his life. It makes us want to have the mindset he had. It's not like, mm, everybody, every knee will bow. You, if you go, every knee will bow, you like that neck action? You're coming from a place of pride. Does your knee bow? 
God exalted him so that your knee would bow and your tongue confess. Jesus is our example. So how do we follow? Third thing is this. Daily is how we live it. Grace is what we need. Um, excuse me. Humility is what we need. Jesus is where we get it. Daily is how we live it. Verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. It's like the kids and mom and dad goes. We're going out to dinner. I counted the cookies. He's just saying, I know you guys got this in you. It's like if I was there and we were doing this together. But I'm not. He says this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Underline that. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In chapter 3, just to let you know, I know it's hot in here and we're almost done. But you guys are good. We're suffering for the sake of the gospel in America. In our building. Thank you, Lord, for this place. In chapter 3, Paul is going to com turn completely inward. He's going to talk about how all of this stuff, how it's working out in his own life. And at the end of chapter 3, he'll say this. He's building a case, and he'll be like, I haven't figured it all out yet, but I do one thing. He goes, I give myself enough grace to forget the past and move on. He's like, I can't change what I did, but God has changed who I am, so that will change where I'll be. That's what he says. So he's going to talk about all this in his own life. He's going to be like, dude, I was the man. People looked at me and they're like, dang, I'm going to be like Paul. Turns out I was wrecked on the inside. God did all this. That's chapter 3. He's going to talk in depth about his personal journey and how, is it, how it's working itself out. But the idea is this. You have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It means you don't earn it. It means you have it. Now send it. It means you have it and you can't lose it but have the right mindset about it. It doesn't mean you get to just do any old thing and treat people however you want. It means, no, you were bought at a price, the blood of Jesus, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we need to remember that not just is Jesus our friend, but he's the king. He's the, the king that sees so much value in you that he says, that's my, that one right there. That one. I got plans for that one that we would look and he would be like, humility looks good on you. Working out your salvation with fear and trembling is just having the right mindset and heart about it. The longer I do this life thing, 45 now, the more I find, if I'm honest, my biggest problems aren't out there. They're in here. They're the way I respond to stuff. The way I respond to my family, the way I respond to my friends, the way I respond to myself is ridiculous sometimes. The idea here is that there's a daily use. Work out your own salvation. It means like you can get buffer, spiritually speaking. And getting buffer, spiritually speaking, does not look like pride and holding it over others. 
We need daily reminders that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. We need to be reminded for what Paul wrote in Colossians. You died and your life is now hidden with Christ. We did a baptism on Wednesday. It was just such an honor to be with people. But you know that's what they're saying? When you're baptized, you're identifying with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And you're saying with your life, I'm dying to myself to Jesus. My sin is buried. As this is from the West. That means like they never touch each other. God doesn't keep a record of wrongs. That's how powerful God's forgiveness and grace is. And then when you rise from the water, you're rising in new life. My life is hidden Christ. He is my refuge. He's got me. So no matter what happens, God's got me. That's what being baptized is. But Caitlin made a post this week on Instagram that was so good. It was like it's a choice that we make once or that we make to be baptized, but it's a choice we make every day. We need to be reminded every day that I, my life is hidden in Jesus. It helps us to remember, don't give up. Don't stop learning. The worst thing we can do is stop learning and just be teachers. I'm going to read you guys a couple of verses. Peter wrote about this. It's pretty cool. This is what he says. First Peter chapter 5. Peter knew something about pride. Because he was a man. He was gifted in what he did. And he tended to ready fire aim with his words and stuff. He's a man after my own heart. But he knew what it meant to be humbled by doing dumb stuff. Later in his life, Peter wrote this. First Peter chapter 5. To the elders among you, so the pastors and other leaders, he's like, I appeal to you as a fellow leader and a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. So he's speaking to pastors, leaders. But this applies to all of us. Be shepherds to God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, selfish ambition, or conceit, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you because I said so, but be an example to the flock. Fathers, be an example to your family. Kids, be an example to your parents. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you, are young, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you, clothe yourself with humility. What a beautiful picture. Put on your humble jacket. Have humility towards one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he will lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Dang, Peter. 
Resist him, the devil. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Guess what? The devil doesn't devour with heavy metal music. Contrary to popular belief, he devours with pride. It makes us like him. He devours with pride and selfish ambition. When one person blows another person's candle out to make them shine brighter in front of people, that is not showing who we are in Jesus. Those are the two main things Paul is encouraging the believers against. The antidote to pride and selfish ambition is humility. Look at the strongest people you know. Next week we're going to talk about, I'll give you the title now. Actually, I don't know the title yet. Paul, so I'm not going to give it to you. Onward. <laughs> Next week, Paul is going to talk about two people he knows, Timothy, Epaphroditus, and then he's going to talk about himself. So next week, just to let you know, we're going to talk about mentorship. What it looks like to surround yourself with people that you want to be like. But look at the, the people, the strongest people in the world that I know always point their hearts to God before they point their finger at others. That's how I want to be. How do you deal with social upheaval in the world? Well, I know what I think, but I don't lean on my own thoughts or understandings. In all my ways, I acknowledge God because he says he's going to direct my path. So before I make a judgment statement towards someone, I at least am going to point my heart to God and be like, hey, Lord, this is hard. How, do you, how, sh how should I be going through this? And I promise you, he's going to point you toward humility. We do this daily. That's what it is to work out your own salvation with reverence, with fear, knowing that God has got you. Last thing, we'll finish here. Humility. I was tossed up on what to call this point, but we'll do this. It's more powerful than you think. Subpoint. It leaves a mark. My boys were playing hockey upstairs in our house, and if you go up there, there's a lot of marks on the ceiling because slap shots inside leave a mark. So we go, and I just see the marks, but they're like, ah, oh, yeah, scored on that one. Humility leaves a mark, sometimes good, sometimes not. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine like lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ Jesus, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. It's a Jewish thing, but we'll get there. I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Here's what he's saying. It means more than you think. When this is all said and done, we're going to be standing with Jesus. I hope you know that. And all the stuff that was hard and confusing and you didn't understand and people talking smack and all the stuff you went through, it's, you're gonna go, we are going to go, okay, 
I see it. We're going to know things we don't know now. And Paul was like, on that day, I want to look and be like, boom, those are my people. I told you. I knew it. I saw in them because God saw in them. Look at what they did. That woman, Lydia, the color of purple from the city of Thyatira. People thought she was all new agey, but she had a longing in her heart for Jesus. That girl that was possessed by demons, her life was wrecked. Look at what God did. That Roman, uh, the Roman prison guard tried to take his own life, but God saw value in him. He's going to see those people and be like, boom, even if that means that this is it for me, it's worth it, man. That's, what he's, that's how secure he was in what God had done in his own life. It's more, humility is more powerful than you think. When you see it in someone else, when they stand strong because they know God's got them, let me tell you, that goes way farther than a pep talk for me. It helps me to be like, you're right. I can do this. God's got me. It helps me to be a learner, to be humble. So how do you live in a crooked generation? Is our generation crooked? Heck yeah. So is every generation that has gone before us. There is some crookedness going on in the world. How do we live in a crooked generation? I just did this. You can write it down, think about it. We want to go low and we want to hold fast. We want to stay humble and we want to hold on. Jesus went low and the Father lifted him high. If you go low by putting God and others above you, God will lift you high. Proverbs 22, 29. Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. You don't have to promote yourself. God will open the door for you. You just stay humble. You just keep grinding. You just work. You just believe the best in your coworker. You speak words of life to your family. You obey God. You serve him. And you see how other people are doing. You be humble and God will bless you. You be prideful, you'll feel an opposition. You will make a difference. Your life will be part of God's purpose and plan. And hold fast, you guys. Life is hard. That's why he's saying, verse 16, holding fast to the word of life. I don't know what you hold on to for hope. Ted Lasso only goes so far. I need God's word. I need God's spirit. I need spirit-filled people in my life who know me that are coming alongside and walking the walk with me, the power of partnership. He's saying, you guys have that. Don't forget it. It's worth rejoicing in. That's the idea. Is that when someone knows who's got you, who you're serving, there's a security that comes. Your faith is secure. Your salvation is secure. Your calling is secure so you can be bold in giving yourself and faith away to others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this radical uh, call to... This is, this is different stuff. Pride is easy. Humility takes sacrifice and work. But you did it, Jesus, and you say that we can have this mindset that you had, so we just ask that you would help us to think more like you. Make our heart more like your heart. 
And as we sing this song, I just want to offer something. I know there will be people here today that are visiting and people here today that I don't know where you're at in your faith. I just want to let you know. You don't have to do this life thing on your own. The Lord has ways of not just taking our mistakes and and making them better, but taking them away. He offers a newness that we could say something like, we could super, can you super stokedly say? We can be super stoked when we say, I died to myself. I gave myself to Jesus. My life is now hid in him. Maybe you can't say that. Maybe you don't know um, that that's an option. But let me tell you, there is no greater offer than to trade in your brokenness for Jesus' wholeness. To trade in your past for God's future. To know that when he died on a cross, it wasn't just to show uh, that he could. It was to show you and me that his sacrifice is enough for you that it offers eternity. It offers things like we're reading today, the, a, sh- a secure stronghold, a refuge in his son, Jesus. So as we're singing the song in response, if that's you and you just want to be like, that's me, Lord, all you got to do is say that. There's no special prayer. There's no special thing you have to do. You just ask God to come into your life. You ask him to forgive you. You ask him to take what you have done on your own, the pride, the different things, and to trade it for his forgiveness and grace. You just open yourself and you ask him to come in. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time. We sing this song to you in Jesus' name. Amen.